to you that, that you would even want us as for children and we praise you and thank you for your goodness to us that you would you would deem to, to take us as your children and as your sons and as your daughters and we are so thankful to your son for being faithful and true and always being with us and taking care of us and guiding us the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct our paths as we walk through life without without your Holy Spirit we would have been lost so many times and we just praise you and we thank you and we give you free reign here tonight in amen. Christ's name yes, amen. 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 amen amen well blessings on the butlers thanks brother it's good to be here huh? Yay! thank you for the butlers yeah, yeah. Laramland's still about two inches underwater. It doesn't look at it, look like it until you step on it, and then you know. Over at the swamp ranch, it's over yeah. the arms. Woo! <laughs> it's tough. Okay. All right, so we are in Hebrews. And the title of this message is Faith to Enter In. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. So it's exciting. We finally broke into a new chapter. We've been going through Hebrews now for uh, a couple months, ten weeks maybe? I lost track. At least three chapters worth. We're in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. So we've, we've gone... Uh, at length with regard to this promise of entering into the land and the children of Israel's missing of it, coming short of it. So, anytime, I say anytime, sometimes people don't even talk about this. 
but we talk about it. You have the salvation of the Spirit. Then you have the salvation of the soul. And uh, as, an, as a as a long-time mentor of mine said, you know what the difference is between these two? Between this and that? Spelling. <laughs> Spelling. S-O-U-L is not S-P-I-R-I-T. Okay? And as we'll see, <coughs> as we get into, deeper into Hebrews 4, New Testament Scripture draws a clear distinction between those these two, but as clear of a distinction as it draws, it gives us a picture of how undistinct they are, how blended they can be, and how difficult it is to sort these two things out, this spirit and soul. Now, when you start looking at scriptures and you start looking at salvation, um, how many do I have in the once saved, always saved camp? Yeah. Come on, don't worry about trick questions here. Once saved, always saved. My hands up, okay? For my spirit. All right, right, right. How about how about the backsliding camp? Not our currently backsliding or backslidden, but good backslide. Any? No, no one thinks they can backslide. Take heed, lest you think you stole. Uh, right? Define the term backslide. Backslide. Yeah, you were you were two steps. You were one step forward, two steps back. You know, two steps forward, one step back is a trip. Not a journey, and, and but but one step forward, two steps back is a is a backslide. You're you're going farther away instead of closer to. That doesn't help you though. No, it does Because it sounds like I'm being facetious. To backslide is to go back to a previous condition, a lost condition. Um, so, okay. uh, this is, by the way, in terms of can you lose your salvation or not? Controversial subject in the body of Christ, and the reason is. When you start looking at verses that involve being recreated in His image, involve being sealed with the Holy Spirit, involved with the basis of eternal life, you're talking about that salvation of the Spirit. But if you're looking at scriptures that involve gaining the or, or receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul, then you encounter um, entirely different set of scripture, that such shall not inherit the kingdom of God in church epistles. Okay? So, we, when, when you get into this area, this is fun, I haven't done this in a while, so bear with me. And uh, the caveat is, this board has no spell check, okay? And this kid, English is a second language. So, <clears throat> when you begin to talk about Walking out in your own salvation with fear and trembling. That is the arena of the salvation of the soul. When you're talking about sanctification, holiness, righteous acts of the saints, Okay? Those are some defining terms of 
what it means to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Well, I mean, even to use fear and trembling in word of faith circles is almost anathema. Anathema being an Aramaic term that... That was slightly funny. Um, you get this big bugaboo when you start talking about this thing, which is... All right? And that's... Where this accusation comes writing, in. Legalism. What's you're, that? You're at legalism. Legalism. Oh, I gotta do that better. Oh, okay. You know how you okay. I thought you were doing the back side of the fence. No, no, so I, I learned this when I lost my voice for a while. Um, this is this is how you can write loud. Okay? This is how you can write louder. But then if you really want to like yell. In font, you, you, you gotta, you gotta get bigger, right? <laughs> and then, you know, you're talking about legalism. So, when we talk about things you must do or rewards or things of this nature, the first, um, the first temptation out of the gate is to succumb to a spirit of religion. The, the, the first accusation out of the gate is you're being legalistic. So if you start talking about what I should watch or not watch, what I should wear or not wear, what I should eat or not eat, then, then the automatic go-to is, well, touch not, taste not, and such things perish. You're being legalistic. It's a temptation because, as we discussed last week, the rest we are talking about is um, a great prize that is at stake. Reigning and ruling with Him in the millennial reign is contingent upon reigning and ruling with Him in this life. Reigning and ruling with Him in this life is contingent upon walking in the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, one of those being self-control. So if there is no sanctification, if there is no holiness, if we are saved by grace, not of not works that any man should boast, but we're saved unto good works, and we never get unto the good works... We're like the guy who got the talent and buried it. And remember, he got, he got a pat on the back and the Lord said, you're great, I'm going to have you sit. Well, you're not at the, my right hand at the table. You're, you're down at the end of the table, but you're at the table. Is that what he said? No. no what did he say? Depart from me. Yeah, depart from me. Well, God forbid. Well, we must be talking about the unsaved. If you read commentaries on Hebrews, when you get to these difficult verses that um, seem to suggest that you're at risk for losing your salvation, the commentators will pretty much go for the fact that, well, this is not really written to born-again believers. They take a Calvinistic approach to it and say, these are people who received enough faith to hear the message, but didn't follow through on believing the message, and it's written to Jews who haven't been born again yet. And that's how they resolve. No. No, 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 no. This is addressed to believers. We don't get to flinch away from it that, that easily. So, it says that we should fear. Now, in my younger days, when I say word of faith, do you all know what I mean? Do you all get that word of faith? So, you know, basically, word of faith, and, you know, Hagen, and I mean, there's all kinds of names that can be thrown out that, that I'm not thinking of right at the moment. But, the word of faith movement is this, is this cast the mountain into the sea kind of a movement, which 
from the evangelical side or even the Catholic side has been accused of. Here's here's the. Uh, uh, name it, claim it. Oh, name it, claim it. We've heard that, right? That's the accusation. So, well, in these circles, um, this word is not popular. At least it wasn't when I was a young Christian. All fear was bad. Is that true? I mean, if I, supposed to fear the Lord. <laughs> exactly. Matter of fact, um, the whole the whole uh, fight or flight response is designed uh, at a subconscious level for you to book it when you can, so you live to see another day. It's not a bad thing. You know what's really bad? God has not given us a spirit of what? Fear. But you know what that word is? It's not really fear. It's timidity. It's timidity or cowardice. Courage is an absence of fear. But cowardice is succumbing to it. You understand? Uh, you know, it's, it's understandable to be a little bit shaky when you're facing a giant. When you run to it, that's faith. When you run away from him, that's cowardice. You follow me? We should fear. Fear, on the positive side, is the fear of God. Now, intrinsically, the word means terror. It means, it means terror. There's another thing that we're not used to really embracing as children of God. We're entering into His rest, and the place to rest, the way we're entering in, is the holiest of all. Our Abba's front room. Okay? Now, um, my children can attest, and maybe some of, your some of your fathers and mothers can attest, and maybe everybody can attest to your fathers and mothers having done this. There's a, there's a high level of familiarity that I will allow my children. But when they go beyond the pale, when they, when they forget who it is they're talking to in a way that they need to be reminded that, yes, I'm their daddy, but right now you're talking to your father. Don't go any further. Right? Respect. Yeah. Because um, I don't think I'm an awful guy. But there's a rightful authoritative holy terror that comes from that authority. So I don't know how it is. I don't know how it is that we can read a scripture where where devout men of God get a glimpse of God's glory and say, "I am undone. I'm a dead man. I am just I I." And we think we just. <laughs> and, and walk through this life without a holy fear of God. See, we should fear lest a promise being left us. Now, all of this is just all kinds of fun because this promise is banking on the actual historical event of... See, I've lost my markers already. Done. Um of crossing into the promised land. What was the promised land called? The land what? Canaan. The land of what? No, 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 no. That's not what it was called though. And where was it called? The land flowing. Flowing with milk and honey. This is funny though. See how we limit supply? How many how could they eat the trees of the garden? Freely. 
freely eat every tree of the garden, except one. So <clears throat> it's little simple things when we when we forget a word or a particular qualifier, and then we, we we get catchphrases and we run that groove deeper. We start missing the flow of God and what He's got going on. So that's the promise: is is to having come out of slavery. You're in bondage, and you're moving to bounty. Okay? You're moving to a land flowing with milk and honey. They were going to have houses. Who built the houses? They didn't build the houses. They're right. They were built for them. Built for them. Right? Cities. Did they build the cities? No. No. Fields? Did they have to cultivate the fields? No. Tear out the trees, pull up the rocks. They, they came in there. The, the, the crops were already growing. Already there. Wells were dug. All that was there were some squatters. <laughs> big, now here's here's big, another problem big, that big ones. <laughs> you know, you, you, so in, in having a biblical worldview, <clears throat> sometimes not sometimes often we have to fight against the headwind of. Of a um, of this fake tolerant liberal mentality, getting squatters out of the land is well, you know, genocide. That's horrible. Well, I mean, depends on the context. That sounds. I'm being recorded, right? That sounds horrible. But you look at the commandments God gave. God commanded genocide in that land. There's a bunch of squatters in that land. Okay. Well, is genocide horrible? Well, certainly it's horrible. In certain contexts, it's necessary. That would require explanation. So if you're coming to arrest me, um, we'll talk about it. So, uh, they're moving from bondage to bounty. Okay, how about on the conservative side? See, when they left out of bondage, what did they take? All the gold, all the silver. They took the, the wealth of the nation, right? Now, in modern-day political parlance, you know what we call that? We call it reparations. Okay? Now, the reparations price for slavery in the land of the free and the home of the brave was 600,000 dead Americans. Plus the wealth plus the bloodshed, in addition to that, and yet when it was all said and done, you still had an impoverished, formerly held slave class that was given 40, 40 acres and a mule, some of them. Simply saying that when we look at issues, a little bit of a scrambled egg here today, when we look at issues from a political standpoint, from a current event standpoint, from a historical standpoint, the standpoint we need to look at it from is God's justice. A biblical worldview. Not a party worldview. Not a national worldview. Biblical worldview. Then that biblical worldview is supposed to be brought into the nation that God placed you so you can disciple that nation in the ways of Christ. Okay? They move from bondage to bounty. This is, this is our journey. So, who delivered them from bondage? The Lord did. 
Okay? And then who's going to provide the bounty? The Lord is. So all they have to do here is simply sit on their hands and wait on the Lord, right? Because... No, we got to do what He said. Oh, well, wait a minute. So the promise being given, the promise is a commitment, but it comes with an obedience clause. Right? You've got, you've got to obey to see the promise come into play. Be fine. You with me? Mm-hmm. Yes. We okay? Yep. We get lost. I have somebody else can come up here and draw. We're good. Okay? So, a promise being left. Now, Hebrews 3.19 says, they didn't enter because of unbelief. Anybody got their Bible open? Yep. Hebrews 3.19. Read it. So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Unbelief. Alright, then read um, the latter part, or the first part of Hebrews 4.3. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, so unbelief, and they did what? They didn't enter. We who believe do enter that rest. We do enter that rest. So, do enter. I mean, in simple English, what text would that be? Or tense would that be? Current. It's present. I mean, you know, in, in simple, we have boiled down simple terms. I mean, we can get all kind of blue perfect and all that kind of stuff with it, but let's just stay with the present, okay? So not only is there a promise to enter the rest, we believe and do enter the rest. There's a rest that we are approaching, but there's a rest that we are in. Now, the historical example that we are given is the deliverance of the children of Israel. Written, things written to give us hope. Okay. Now, let's just get a perspective on this, because, and and maybe it's just me, when when someone began, when, when I first started learning about what was at stake with regard to sanctification, that, yes, you can confess Christ as Lord and get born again, and your spirit sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have eternal life. Yes. You're going to live forever. But, but, read 1 Corinthians 15, um, the glory of that resurrection is contingent upon things that you do. Okay? So it's not just, you know, get born again, forget about it. Discipleship's involved. So when I first started learning about the requirements, what was at stake with regard to walking out your own salvation with fear and trembling, the, this is what it looked like. And this is just because I, you know, I lack perspective. All right. Spirit, salvation, okay. All right. And now, uh, what do I have to do to save the soul? <laughs> this was so easy. 
Right? It's by grace. It's not of works. All I had to do is believe. And, and, but now, oh my goodness, now I've got to walk that thing out. But you know, when you think about it, it wasn't, it wasn't that easy for me. I had to make a decision. And I could have made the wrong decision. You know, huh? Thank God I made the right one. Amen. Anybody else go through this where it seems where it seems like okay, getting born again was a was yeah, an easy I, done deal, I, I know, but I know what you're talking renewing about. the mind. So I got one witness. Anybody else? Amen. Yeah. No? yeah? Okay. Yeah? Okay. Alright, so a historical occurrence that has prophetic import is called a type in scripture. It's a type. So you know, if I use a, a, a mineral or a color or an animal, and I, and I use that metaphorically, that's a symbol. But if God calls His Son out of Egypt, and that speaks to the liberation of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and that's a his, historical event with prophetic import, because what? When Herod died, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus came from where? Egypt. That was the antitype. That was the fulfillment of it. Okay? So, there is a rest that they did not enter. Well, they left the land of bondage. What did they have to cross? Alright? So, when they left the land of bondage, they crossed the red, oh my goodness, it was a sea! Okay? Now, I've seen the cartoon, Prince of Egypt, I think it's excellent. It didn't happen that way, but it was really cool, you know? He takes the staff, he sticks to one, the water goes up. I saw how Clint Eastwood did it. I don't know if he studied the script to figure out how. That was pretty cool, too. Um, you mean Charlton Heston? Yeah, yeah, what did I say? Clint Eastwood? <laughs> yeah, he pulled out his gun. You, did, you didn't see that yeah, that one. You're mixing your NRA guy. Yeah, I did. And forget it. The Chuck Norris one? The never showed up. Alright. Look. They had to stand in faith all night long. While the wind blew. And made dry ground for them to cross. But can you imagine standing on... I looked at it on a map today and... And you're standing on the... I mean, you know. You, it's a sea. Okay, it's a narrow sea. It's a sea! Okay. I've seen pictures of the Jordan River. So this is what... This is, this is, the, this is the obstacle. Okay, so it was the obstacle on the other side. But you follow me, right? This is where they stopped and couldn't cross. The, uh, the Jordan uh, River... Amen. <laughs> it's okay. So, you see that dichotomy of faith? They crossed the Red Sea and they grew timid at the Jordan River. They crossed the Red Sea they stopped at the Jordan River. Now, in the saint's life, this 
is salvation writ large. Alright? So, what's harder? To say your sins are forgiven or rise up, take up your bed and walk? Which is harder? To say it, to, to say it, neither one is harder. No, but but to accomplish it, which one's harder? Your sins are forgiven. Right. Oh, there is the expenditure. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, he saith to the man, sick of the body, rise up, take up your bed and walk. Okay? Physical healing is the Jordan River on the cross of the Red Sea. I don't know if anybody else has been standing this way or not, but somehow leading someone into the new birth seems quite easier than watching an arm grow back. Or um, someone get, actually, well, I mean, maybe for some, I don't know, that, you know, to, to, to be freed from demons or whatever the case may be. But quite frankly, the huge miracle is here. To see someone, to bring someone into everlasting life is the hugest battle for an individual you'll ever have the glory to participate in. Everything after that's runoff. Am I communicating? That's a good water analogy. Though. That's good water. Yeah, you like that? I'm trying to, I'm trying, you know, I start off with the flow thing. I'm trying here. Okay. So in our walk, this Red Sea experience, like I said, the salvation, this Jordan River crossing is being an overcomer. Okay? Now, how many of you studied the overcoming promises in the book of Revelation? Right? Yeah, it, it can it feel daunting because of what happens if you don't overcome. Put your head cut off. That would be overcoming. You know, if you actually lost your head, that would, that would be overcoming. Okay? Um, I don't know if I'm doing this right. I just want you to see it. That even in this, in this, see this is why we have to stand in faith. Because to receive this promise, we're on, we're on the, the easy road. The one that's narrow. <laughs> the one that's straight. The one that your ankle won't twist on. And we've made it this mountain hike. Yes ma'am. Do you think that we see it as harder because maybe we expect it to look different than the way God has it? Because it does seem like it seems like it'd be harder to watch an arm grow back than, you know, oh, someone came to faith. Oh, that's so great. Their arm grew back. What? No, I don't believe it, you know? Yeah, it seems more It seems is it more because, Is it because we are expecting, like, if we're expecting healing or something like that, we expect it to look different than the way... Because you see more, I mean, you see like so many people will come to faith, and then, I don't know, God doesn't always heal people in that sense, you know? So, it's, is it because we expect like, okay, then he'll heal everybody, okay, if he doesn't, then that's just, it means it's harder because you don't understand him. <clears throat> All of that, yes. As well as, I believe we are continually challenged in our hearts with the true value and the true expenditure. Mm. Oh, hey, I 
way. I don't know. Of, of the true value and the true expenditure of what it cost God to have us. Hmm. And, and so that's, I mean, so, so to that, that point, Maggie, the Bible's this way. Um, but we also don't see all the times that someone comes so close to receiving Christ and they walk away. Yeah. If you're praying for healing and you don't see healing, you know you saw it not happen, but you don't know all the people who go to church or hear a message or get pick up a track or somebody witnesses to them and they're just... Lots of people tell stories about refusing the invitation over and over and over again their entire lives. So we don't really get to see that, the refusal. We, we, don't, have, we don't have the wide range perspective that God has. And so when we understand that we are co-laborers with God... And what our responsibility is, our responsibility is to sow and water. <laughs> you know, he gives the increase. And we ought to have faith for that. We, if I was a farmer and I plowed a field and put seed out there and water, did all the things I was supposed to do, and I never saw a crop happen, I would begin to wonder. I should expect a crop. So if we are consistently sowing and watering, we should expect to reap. But some reap more than others. And it does. It's, it's a, um, you know, when, when Jesus said, follow me and I'll teach you to be fishers of men. What kind of equipment were Peter and Andrew, John and James dealing with? They were dealing with nets. They were dealing with nets. The, the getting the fish, the fishing wasn't, I mean, okay, wasn't one at a time. They no, got a he did that to get money. You know, when he couldn't pay his couldn't pay his temple tax, then he took a pole and a string. Right? <laughs> I could go off on a preach there. Not going to. But the evangelism piece is a net. That means teamwork. That means strategy. That means consistency. That means discipline. And mend your nets. All these things. Now then, all the things that come into fishing when it comes to fishing for souls, you begin to understand and what the draw is supposed to be. So, yeah, I think to us, to our natural senses, to see the big instantaneous miracle thing seems more challenging than the thing we cannot see, which is this heart change. Because our eyes aren't involved, and we're truly exercising faith. But here's the thing, is to see what is not is the true exercise of faith. It's the same function. The same function that sees an arm grow out is the same one that says, someone I never met died for me 2,000 years ago, and because of his blood shed, my sins are really forgiven, and I, you know, and now I am, I am sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Same faith. Same faith. Um, in in Romans eight, verse thirty-two, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The challenge. The challenge always comes down to the cross. The challenge is always, does God love me? The answer to does God love me is written in blood. And to the degree I believe that, I have faith for all else. It's when I doubt God's love for me that I begin to accuse Him of being stingy or cruel or deaf or dumb like idols that I might be guilty of worshiping, which is why I can't see God right. Does that, that make sense? So, so are you saying rather than we have made the Jordan River bigger, 
we're actually not making the reds too big, big enough. enough. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm thinking okay. about Jesus bleeding out for us. God, God bled out for us. That's yeah. huge. It's it's tremendous. It's tremendous. It's not, it's not like a guy down the street lit out for us. No, no. It's the creator of the heavens and the earth who came in human form. <laughs> also, he could have, also, he could have us as, as his family, as his children. Right. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it, when you think about that love, that's, I mean, it's, it's beyond our even being able to comprehend it. All right. Does this, does this help you? Okay. So, that faith that brought us across the Red Sea should take us in through the Jordan River, past Jericho, and taking the giants down. That promise. Now here I just got to brag on the Holy Spirit a bit. So bear with me. So uh, the promise... My font checker here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, now you have that. Yeah. No, actually, that's the wrong. That's the wrong sigma. Sorry. That's sigma. So that sigma there makes this word in uh, the genitive, I believe. Epangelia. Epangelia is the promise. Okay? Epangelia. And it is both the fact of the proclamation and that which is proclaimed. The declaration made on account of something, hence a promise or an offer. God made this offer. An offer was and then uh, being left us. Now, you know, I mean, just like English, we have left and we have left, right? I mean, this is my left. I practice that a lot. It's not easy for me. This is left. Or, you know, they left. I had, I had four lows. Left. left. Okay? So we use it in all kinds of different ways. But this... This being left, Holy Spirit used this word. When you wrote in Greek, where did that come from? The promise being left? Mm -hmm. um, that is in Hebrews 4.1. <laughs> Again, so that looks like an N, right? But that's actually uh, that's actually the long E in Greek. So it's an N with a with a tail on the side of it. Um, this looks like a well, it looks like a numerical figure, but it's actually pi. <laughs> it's the P. So this is kataleu uh, beune. That's an N in the Greek, right? And I'm just going to read it to you because if I write that down, it means. To leave down to one's heirs, leave behind so as to descend to them. 
So generally it means to leave behind, but properly at one's death. This is what the word actually means. And because of what that's what the word actually means, it's used to indicate abandoning somebody or leaving. Okay? You follow me there? So it's, it's used, its technical sense is that of leaving an inheritance for somebody at your death. And so then it begins to be used, well, we left them on the left shore, that kind of a thing. Okay? Well, that promise being left is in its absolute technical term. It is an inheritance left to us from our Father because the testator, Jesus, died for it. Isn't that cool? This promise is left. What promise? This, this promise given by God. Well, there are all kinds of promises given by God. But this is the first use of this term in the book of Hebrews. It goes on to be used 11 more times as this argument develops. Argument as in thesis. Uh, develops in this epistle of the promise of God. Does that mean that the ESV says, therefore, while the prime of promise of entering his rest still stands? That's not accurate. No, it's accurate. It's both and. Because we who believe do enter that rest, but there's a rest that remains for the children of God, or for the people of God. Um, Let us therefore fear lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. So, just for fun, let's go to the account where this this particular word, this one here, epigaleo, of this promise, is used in the New Testament. And that's in Luke 24. My Bible's out of order. I put the page back in. It happens. So, Luke 24. And I'm going to start in verse 45. Ah, I've got to start in verse 44. You know, Jesus has shown up in the middle of his disciples. They're freaking out because they think he's a ghost. He says, hey, touch me, see me. You know, I've got flesh and bone. I'm not a ghost. Give me some food. Let me eat. And <clears throat> verse 44, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the Law of Moses, that's the Torah, and the Prophets, that's, <coughs> um, that's the end of the Tanakh, was Nebim, and then the writings, the Psalms, which is the Ketuvim, the Torah, the, 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 not the Torah, but the Tanakh, the, the Old Testament. All right? <coughs> then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. I just love this verse. I mean, what was he with them? Three and a half years, the Son of Man must be crucified, the Son of Man must die, the Son of Man... I mean, <clears throat> he even had to get right in front of Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan. And they didn't get it. A forthright, open declaration by their master, they, they, just, they just could not understand it. They could not grasp it. And so finally at this appearance, I liken it to I'm thawing a word. 
He opened their mind that they might understand the Scriptures. So this is a prayer for, for, for you and for me when we approach Holy Writ, that the Master, the Teacher, Lord Jesus, through the auspices of the Holy Spirit, would open our minds that we would understand. And this is how you really begin to get what God is saying to you. Okay? <clears throat> and said to them, Thus it was written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and remissions of sins should be preached. That's Caruso, in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. That preached, that Caruso, is the town herald. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye, Christ was crucified, buried three days, and resurrected. Oh, who wants salvation? Come forth. Okay, <laughs> that's the Caruso. The town herald doesn't wait to find out who showed up at the meeting. He just says, here's the meeting. And ye are witnesses of these things. Verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father. Lest there be a promise waiting for us. I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And they led him out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he parted from them and carried them up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Where's the temple? It's not a hard test. Where's the temple? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Where did he tell them to stay? In Jerusalem. So there's a promise, but they have to wait for it. Okay? I'll look for my water. Alright, so, Acts, chapter 2. Verse 1. Now, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered together in one place. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came. The Holy Spirit came. Fire. Was this their first dealing with the Holy Spirit? No. No. Because he showed them what it would be like. Not only that, they had been raising the dead, casting demons out, and healing the sick. Matter of fact, the 70 done it so effectively that Satan had to come out of the atmosphere and marshal groups on the ground. He had disrupted things so badly that he had to come down to the tether lines and get his troops all squared away because these 70 disciples walking around in, in amongst the house of the children of Israel had so racked and ruined his stratagems and his kingdom that, they, that he had to scramble to get them together. And yet Jesus said, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you, but what? Your names are written in, names are written in the book of life. Okay? So it's not, their, it's not their first dance of the Holy Spirit. But this is the first time the new birth came and the Holy Spirit sealed their hearts. It was the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What God always intended came on the day of Pentecost. Acts, chap Acts chapter 2, verse um, 31. He, speaking of David, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, 
that his soul was not left in Hades, that's the hell there, neither his flesh to see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father, what? The promise of the Holy Ghost has poured out what you now see in here. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So what am I illustrating here? They, um, they had experience. Ah. Walking with the Spirit. They had a promise of being clothed with Him. It's another way of saying baptized. Okay? So all all these full immersion, anointed, clothed, baptized, sealed. But with the Holy Spirit, not water. Full with the Holy Spirit. Full and total. So, for He's with you, but He shall be in you. Remember that verse? Okay? Now, in between these two, or actually, you know, the promise resides here. And the reception is over here, which is Acts 2. They had to obey. Now those poor disciples, they struggled. They didn't know when the Holy Spirit was going to come, so they all hung out um, in austere conditions in some upper room with, I don't know, 5,130, pick your number, <laughs> other sweaty, only male people, um, waiting for the day they didn't know what was going to come, and there was all kinds of nail-biting and sweating and gritting it out to make it happen. Now, it's not in my Bible either. <laughs> right? What did their obedience entail? Yes, they waited. They waited how? In prayer and praise. Thank you, Eddie. Good job, Eddie. They must not look too rough because people thought they were drunk. So, <laughs> yeah. Whatever they were doing must have looked like a good time. Good time. <laughs> there you go. That's true. <laughs> so, in this stretch of obedience, they're awaiting the full promise of God to come. I just want to, that's all I want to illustrate is that there's that promise. There is that, that partial reception of that promise. Then to get to the full promise, look, it didn't happen, but I could, I could fairly surmise that you know, if Mattathias had said, hey, look, I know I drew the short straw, but I, I mean, I got someone to take care of at home. I gotta go back. And the day of Pentecost fully came. I don't think Mattathias would be up in his own upper room somewhere. Up in the Galilee Hills. That wasn't what Christ asked. Okay? Now I know we have the example of Moses in the 70, and that's a different story. But they had to obey to receive. Okay? Now, 
Let's go to Romans 4, because we're tracking promises down. And the reason is we want to we want to submit, subject ourselves. There's a middle voice. Um, let us fear. In the middle voice in Greek, we don't use that voice in our verbs. It's, it's acting upon self. It's, a, it's, a, it's an active-passive blend. You're actively uh, working on yourself. <laughs> to be and remain in the holy fear of God because He's left an inheritance for you that you do not want to miss. Does that communicate? Yeah. That makes sense? So, let's see somebody else who walked through this promise and how he did it. Who would be a good example? Uh, Abraham. Yeah, that's a good one. Romans 4, verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the whole world. Wow. Okay. <coughs> I mean, that's... That's good, right there. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Right there, okay. What's your inheritance? That's kind of crazy. Alright. I want you to leave this highly developed culture on this very nice river where everybody is doing fine and making their own little idols. You just go. Leave your family and go. That decision by Abram to hear God and obey was the birth of Western civilization, was the rupture of fatalistic thought and cyclical time patterns, where all man's purpose was is to fulfill his role in the cycle of the heavens and the wheel of death so the whole cosmos wouldn't fly apart. No choice, no freedom, play your role with religious observance and everything that was is and will be. Nothing changes. Just play your part and your role, lest the whole planet falls apart. God changed. He gave his revelation again of a progressive view of time when Abraham left and went. Go, therefore, and disciple all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? promise to inherit the world. Through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. <clears throat> you want to talk about the global economy? It's your father's. You want to be in the and then the family business? Well, you know, even, even where nepotism reigns strong, if someone doesn't work well, sooner or later they get fired. <laughs> it's not good business. Nepotism is good business uh, because you have family members you can trust, but if they're incompetent, Hopefully. it's bad business. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. All right. So. So when it says heir of the world, is that more referring to like nations and people, or is it referring to like the physical, tangible realm, like animals and. Blessed are the meek, for they shall. Inherit the, the earth. Thank you. Yeah, but that didn't really answer my question. Sure, it does. Uh -huh. The earth is the earth. Man. Yes. Everything? Yes is the answer. Cool. Yes. What is the answer to all the promises of God? Yes, yes. and amen through who? Jesus Christ. That's right. Okay? It's pretty big stuff. <clears throat> Was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Now you see why we started with this whole thing about 
you know, the grace as it works, okay, wasn't through law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, if they which are of the law be heirs, the promise is made void. None effect. Because the law works wrath, for where no law is, there's no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. Now, I gotta, let's just put that all in our heads there a second. It's, um, it's by faith so that it can be by grace. No, I don't know. I can't write big enough. Alright? You gotta write bold enough. I don't want to make it red because that sounds accusatory, right? You get better at bad marks in red. It is grace. Well, what is grace? Undivided, undeserved favor. Favor. What is favor? Good stuff. <laughs> what do you mean, what's favor? It's favor. It's favor. So, when we talk about <coughs> favoritism, then the other side, the, the side that's not being favored says the world is not what? Fair. Fair. No, it's not. Stack the deck. My dad made it! <laughs> it's his planet. It is cosmos. His son died for me. I don't play fair. Why should you? He played absolutely fair so he could favor you. Grace is unmerited divine favors beyond that. It is, um, it is God's active favor flowing through your life that you may accomplish His destiny for you and His purposes in Christ Jesus. It's the shine. It's the glow. It is the strength. It's what makes three children of Israel who go into Babylonian college and they do better than the Babylonians. It's what takes craftsmen in the desert to make the most glorious tent there ever was. It's what gives Stephen so much wisdom that the wise men of his days had to stone him to shut him up. Grace. Favor. God's active energy opening doors, giving you enlightenment, giving you understanding, giving you strength, giving you endurance, making you stable through love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, patience. I'll probably repeat one. Are you with me? I'm preaching a little bit. Yeah. Okay? Favor. Favor. By faith that it might be by grace. God established this whole economy on, look kids, all you got to do is take me at my word. I'll do it all. I'll make the covenant with myself. I'll walk through the animals. I'll hang on the cross myself. I'll get myself out of the grave. I will do all of it. All I'm asking you to do is take me at my word. Amen. And then I can just pour it all on. It's by faith that it might be by grace. And hopefully, if I keep in flow here, you'll see how all this comes together. Um, <clears throat> or, Tom, just keep reading Scripture. I keep stopping here. Mm. Therefore, it is, by, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of Saul. 
The great mystery of the one body, Jew, Gentile, joint heirs in Christ. How through the gospel preached to Abraham, through you I will bless all the nations of the earth. The gospel didn't begin with Matthew. Okay? The gospel began with let there be light. Everything else is the details. <clears throat> As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth the things which be not as though they were. You, I mean, you see the qualifiers. If I'm standing by my finances, if I'm standing by my health, personal relationships, creativity, anything that's in my way, my Father raises the dead. He calls things that are not as though they were. That's the way we're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, you're in denial. No, I'm not. That's all we need you. I'm just calling the things that I'm not seeing now as though they were. And then you're saying, You know? Yeah. I mean, so, so if my leg hurts, I speak life to it. If my hands don't feel, I speak life to it. I call it what I don't see. That it might be. Does that make sense? Yes. That's what my daddy does. Yes. That's what God does. Yes. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall I see be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God. He didn't stagger at the promise of God. Now, I think it's a great word. I think it's the only place this word is translated stagger in the King James. So, there's a promise of me entering in, and I get to enter in. Okay? If I'm going to be a child of Father Abraham, a child of faith, I don't walk to the promise like this. Like I have one too many. Not like I'm drunk in the Spirit. Are you with me? I'm not staggering. I'm back in the furniture industry, and I'm, I'm reminded of the fact that you, you can tell whether someone's going to make it or not, because if you don't walk fast, I'm walking over you. You know? I mean, anyhow. You don't stagger. you got to go. you got to move. The staggering. Oh, we have another staggering word for stagger. It's a big word. If you write it big. Staggering lips. No, it's not stammering. That word for stagger? Alright, is this implanted in your brain? Mm -hmm. Say it with me. Grace. 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 And it might be by what? Faith. Grace. Grace, 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 grace. He staggered not. Staggered not. Staggered not. Stagger. Doubt. That's the word. It's the word doubt. Now, I want to show you how this works uh, without tripping over Marcellus Bunker. Keep your finger in Romans like I didn't and go to James. James chapter 1. Verse 1, James, a servant of God of the Lord and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Boy, I just got to keep stuff doing it. First of all, 
Who's he addressing? Uh, Christians, his brothers. By his Christian brothers? What? How many tribes? Twelve, uh, twelve tribes. Twelve? Why, I thought they were lost. <laughs> well, in the dispersion. Just saying. There's a common fun, fun theme of, you know, the ten lost tribes of Israel, and yet somehow James knew how to send letters to all twelve tribes, so <laughs> you tell me. <clears throat> it's not the only place that that evidence exists. I just had to stop there for a second. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, <clears throat> knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. The try. This isn't magic, folks. This is the problem. Immediate things happen. Immediacy is like the magic word in Scripture. When it becomes immediate, it's cool. I, I, um, I, I do this, uh, this example in, in, in the book Love Everlasting where, you know, the, the leper who gets immediately healed, that healing message overshadows. So Jesus lays hands on a leper and he's healed. That's a healing message. Jesus gives a word at a distance to ten men who are healed of leprosy as they go. What's that message about? Faith. No, it's about Thanksgiving because the one guy came back and said he was grateful. We teach that one. Ten healings. Word at a distance. No hands laid on. Ten guys get healed. That message is about Thanksgiving. Why? Because the other leper got healed immediately. Well, you know what, what venue your faith gets tried in? Tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. It's called time. Without the crucible of time, the testing of your faith doesn't really happen. That's why it requires patience. It works, develops patience because God speaks the long game. He is the is, was, will be. And we want the is, and we want to know the was, but the will be, we're not so happy about. The will be, you got to wait for. And so, the promise of a will be, as you walk to it, tries faith and develops patience, because to birth what God wants seen on earth requires the faith for the immediate and for the end. It's the both and. You've got to be able to walk it through. And every time we don't see it, we give up. Because we didn't get to wave the magic wand, clap and turn it on. It must not be working. And now we call a question everything, ourselves, God, our companion, the prophet. It must be a false prophet. It didn't happen. That's where the double-minded man comes in. There we are. You're ahead of me. Let's go back to James. Thanks. Pull me out of the preach into a teach. Thank you, Eddie. No, no, you're good. You're good. You need to do that. <laughs> Verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, not wanting anything. See, we need to get rounded out. If all we got was magic immediacy, we'd just be spoiled children, not enriched sons. Amen. Okay? That makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. <clears throat> if any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. 
No staggering. No doubting. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. So then the energy of the environment is determining my direction, not my attitude of mind. Not my attitude of heart. Did you get that? That's how waves work. Waves express. It's the energy of the wind translated to the water. The water carries that energy forward. Now the wave is going where the wind says. And I'm not going to go off on a preach about the wind's Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. Just follow me, okay? Follow me. It's the direction where you're going. If you're steadfast and flint-faced, unwavering, you, you walk right into the headwind, right? Or across the water. Am I communicating? Yes. Should I wrap this up? Y'all tired? <laughs> we good? We good? Alright. Um, For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Oh, I don't like that. Well, I, I don't. But that's the truth. So, listen. One of my... What, this is... This is not a vain repetition. It's just a continual prayer. I, I pray for wisdom every morning. God, give me wisdom. Give me, give me a heart to lead well. Teach me how to do. Now, I've prayed that. Now, if I get into work, if I get into my work and I'm equivocating, well, I don't really know what to do. What do you think I should do? I don't know. I want to do this, but I want to do that. I want... The whole thing gets derailed. I have... I ask God for wisdom, so now I have to have faith He's going to work through me. I'm not talking about bullheaded, not listening to any other, any, anybody else's input. I'm talking about having faith that my Father will deliver wisdom that I can carry through on my job. That when it's done, what my job is, is efficient and profitable to me, to my crew, and to my employer. This is salt. This is not, I want wisdom for how to order. I mean, yeah, you want wisdom for how to order your life. But, you know, it's, it's, it just gets down to, when you start studying the spirit of wisdom, it comes down to craftsmanship, linguistics, scholastics, practical things. Why? We have an earth to inherit. You know what it takes to run this place? Eddie said, you know, if they knocked out the internet, this whole, this whole nation's economy would be gone. The whole world's economy gone. You ever wonder what happens if if all the engineers die? Who turns on your power plant? Anybody have power loss? We have power loss uh, night before last. You know, and the elves came to my street and fixed it. <laughs> I know people who climb those lines and get those wires working. It ain't magic, folks. It's skill. Hard work. It's hard work. Well, I want supernatural grace, favor, and wisdom to go through that hard work so that when I turn a wrench or write a report or do a financial form or teach the Bible, Holy Spirit is coming through giving glory to Jesus. Does that make sense? Amen. That's what we want. All of us want. Amen? So when I ask that prayer, I can't do it double-minded. I have got to lean in and listen. If I'm expecting God to give me wisdom, I can't just turn around and start bouncing things back and forth in my head until I'm insane. No. You, my sheep, do what? Hear my voice. And so you follow through, and you're attentive, and you're sensitive to where wisdom comes from. That's called being humble. You see, you've got to be well-rounded. All right? So we're talking about not staggering, how this doubt works. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord, for a double-minded man is unstable 
in all his ways. You see, the environment, the wind is pushing the wave around instead of the water watering the land. Okay? So, this is not staggering at the promise of God. Um, I think I want to go to Matthew. Matthew 21, and verse 18. Now in the morning as he returned into the city, he hungered. He was hungry. And he came and saw a fig tree in the way. He came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. If it comes to a fig tree, he's hungry, he wants to eat. It has no fruit, has no bud, has nothing for the Lord to eat. Well, <laughs> and he said, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. This is one of those immediate types. I mean, it wasn't that immediate, but it was, he said it, look at the next verse. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled and said, how soon is the fig tree withered away? He spoke this curse on the fig tree, and I mean, the leaves started curling up, drying up, the whole thing just died right there. And they're amazed. Now, there's, there's an entire seminar on that whole thing, which we're not doing, because I didn't bring notes, and you don't have time, neither do I. But when they saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If you have faith, and doubt not. If you have faith, and doubt not. Okay? Doubt not is the wavering. Is the wavering. The wavering. See, it's possible to have faith and doubt at the same time. What's that verse? That is um, verse 21. <laughs> if you have faith and doubt not, that means you press in. That means you endure. That means you continue through. That means you take God at His word. And that was Matthew. Matthew 21. Yeah? yeah? Ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. Now, I've never seen a mountain move, and I've never seen, well, I've I, I, I'm not withered a fig tree. When I was a young man, I was responsible for taking care of um, financial records for the ministry I was involved with, and they were in my built-in... Uh, dresser drawers in my bedroom and because there was good light that came into that bedroom my mother decided to put her house plants there and then sometimes because she worked very hard um, she would overwater the plants and then the water would go down into the plants records and so I said mother can we put I called her mother when we were having a serious conversation <laughs> mom I'm like, hey, mom. mother <laughs> can we can we find another place for these plants? Because they're really impacting these, uh, these records. And she said, well, no. And I said, well, I'm just letting you know. They stay in my room, and they will die. Best, house in the, best light in the house. And they all wither away. Okay? And she, you know, save some, move them. Um, what's the point? I didn't doubt it. I just told, I just knew it. I just knew unequivocally. Listen, uh, you know, we got to come to some sort of arrangement here because 
Sitting here, they die. Your plants are nice. Between the plants and the records, I got to keep the records. Okay. Now I wasn't being arrogant. I trust me. Come on. <laughs> okay. So it's the nothing doubting when when the Holy Spirit has given you a promise. He's had it written down, and you grab that thing. Then hold on to it and don't equivocate. Press forward to see its fulfillment. When you are involved in a situation and God gives you a revelation, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, faith comes with it. Don't doubt the words. Speak it out. See it happen. That's how miracles are done. That's how people are one to Christ. That's how anything in the kingdom is done. Authoritatively. He gives the word, we execute. Okay? So, nothing doubting. Nothing doubting. You shall not only do this which is done in the fig tree, but you shall also say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And all things whatsoever shall, you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. And this is why word of faith gets called name and claim it. Well, all things you ask in prayer. Well, what things are you supposed to ask for in prayer? The will of God. All things according to the will of God. Is that contained solely in Scripture? No, it can go beyond that. But yeah. yeah. So, the, so the plumb line, the anchor, the cornerstone, the judging ruler is the written word. But the will of God is what God wants accomplished. There's a lot of present day stuff God wants accomplished. In your life, that could be as simple as what part of the kitchen you need to clean, what road you need to take home so, so you don't get killed, okay, to bigger issues. What we're going to have for supper. What we're going to have for supper, <laughs> all right? But anything we pray according to God's word, according to his will, nothing doubting, you receive. Doubt allows the, the, the uh, interference of the enemy to hold the outflow of God's promise. So as we saw the Holy Spirit, Jesus poured that out. Okay? Doubt causes interruption in the outflow. Alright? <clears throat> Nothing doubting. Now, let's wrap this up. <clears throat> Hebrews 4. And verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest. We who have believed do enter into rest. Verse 9 says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. So, just as I illustrated here, there we get the doubt off the board. I want that imprinted in your brain. What was supposed to be a put it in your brain? Grace. 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 Thank you. Okay. All right. Get the doubt off the board. <laughs> All right. So there is, there's the, there is the, the partial reception. There's the promise, and the tension is the endurance carrying one to the other. Should I draw that out? See if I can do that real quick. I said wrap, and I'm not. Um, so. No spell checks, so don't, don't judge me. Uh, partial fulfillment, promise, 
Okay? And what carries us from here to there is faith, and it requires patience. And it works through grace. Okay? God's active, God's active favor working in your life to accomplish His destiny in you through Christ Jesus. So, we do rest, but there is a rest coming. How is it that we labor to enter into that rest? What is it? What is that path? So, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. In verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. It's what God does with what you offer. It's what God does with what you offer. If we sit back and do nothing and wait for God to do it, it's not how He works. Because He wants relation. But then He makes it happen. We do simple, foolish things, and God makes glory out of it. Okay? <clears throat> for we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So, how, as a master builder, you know what we call a master builder today? A general contractor. A craftsman. A general contractor. A general contractor hires different trades to build the edifice. He may be responsible for the integral part. You know, he has a main, uh, whether he's a master electrician or a master carpenter or whatever the case may be, even maybe even a civil engineer. He lays that first plan down and the other trades build upon it. But how is it that he's a wise master builder? By the grace of God given unto me. By the grace of God given unto me. <laughs> First Corinthians fifteen. Verse seven. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, verse eight, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. One born out of due time means a stillbirth or an abortion. That's what that means. The last one who saw physically Jesus, Jesus made a personal appearance to get Paul squared away, Saul squared away. And Paul says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stillborn. That's what I am. Compared to all these other guys, I am. That's his statement. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So, when God gives you the challenge, what the devil does is remind you of your sin. And what he says, he, what he tells you is, what he reminds you of is your lack of qualification 
trying to distract you from who gave you the job. So that's, that's the same as, you know, uh, getting hired and on your first day of work, you go to your boss and say, I really can't do this job, I'm no good at it, I shouldn't even be here, but thanks for hiring me. Yeah, if you last the first week, I'd be surprised. Okay? So look at Paul, Paul's description. I persecuted the church of God. I was, I, compared to the other apostles, I'm stillborn. I'm a miscarriage. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not what I was. The grace of God defines me. I am loved. I am appreciated. I am forgiven. I am honored. I am resurrected. I am seated at the right hand of God with Christ Jesus, my Lord. I am wise. I am bold. I am loving. I am temperate. I am joyful. I am charitable. I am gracious. I am generous. And so are you. Why? Because by the grace of God I am what I am. Not because of who I am, but because of what God's grace made me. Does that make sense? Yeah. <clears throat> Now watch this. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Grace isn't this... See, so often we've seen, at least I've seen, grace defined as this complete and absolute passive reception. You know? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's grace. Yeah, that's my grace. I'm going to heaven. No. No, it doesn't stop there. It may start there, but it doesn't stop there. I labored more abundantly than they all. I mean, it took the twelve about 14 years to get out of Jerusalem. Jesus, on the ascension, said, Go into all the nations of the world, and He had to allow a persecution to get them out of the boiling pot of Jerusalem to just make some, some tentative steps into Samaria. To finally, after the persecution, one guy, Philip, unsanctioned, <laughs> goes up into Antioch, Assyria, and lo and behold, Gentiles start getting born again. Scandalous. These aren't Ephraimites. These aren't from the lost tribes. These aren't proselytes. These aren't Judeans, these are these are pagans. <laughs> Sorry, your acoustics are better than mine. And they go up there. And then Barnabas says, you know, I know this guy's been hanging out on the backside of the desert ever since Jesus kicked him off a horse. And I know he knows the Torah. And we got all these, we got all these Gentiles who know nothing about the Tanakh. They let's bring him up here to teach. And they and so they start teaching, and they're ministering to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit shows up and He says, Get that guy Barnabas and that guy Saul and cut them off to the side for the work I called them to. So, from the day of His calling, as an apostle, Paul 
laid his whole life down and traveled the world. It took the guys who saw the baptismal waters of the Jordan, heard God speak audibly, watched Jesus die on the cross and picked up the grave clothes from an empty tomb and sat down with a resurrected Jesus and had dinner. took them 14 years to go on a missionary journey to lowly little Gentiles. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But the grace I received from Him, I didn't receive in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. He wasn't working for it. That's where we get fooled. He wasn't working for it. He was working with it. That's the rest. That's the rest. Because he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether I or they, so we preached and so ye believed. This is how we rest and labor to enter into the rest. This is how we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. This is how we get gold, silver, precious stones and not wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble is by the sweat of my brow and the thorns of the ground. Gold, silver, precious stones is birth through faith by the grace of God, to see His destiny come to pass on the earth that He owns and which we inherit. That makes sense? Verse 19, For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. For I, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You never get away from the foundation. I, I don't do miracles because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't cast out demons because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit at the foundational level. You understand? the foundational level, I see the captives set free because Christ bled for me and Christ bled for them. Because when it comes to the moment of ministry, my faith in His love is greater than my doubt in myself. Does that make sense? Who loved me and gave Himself for me. Verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God. How you frustrate the grace of God is to doubt His love poured out on the cross. That's how you frustrate God's grace. That's how favor stops flowing. Because you resist the grace of God. Or you receive it in vain. It's always a love question. Always a love question. Grace and love and mercy. And Lord willing, we'll get there someday in Hebrews. Uh, but I'll give you a taste of it. A verse you well, well, well know. Hebrews 4. Verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of what? Grace. Grace. That we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace isn't something you just needed for salvation. Grace is what gets you across this ark. Faith by grace to enter in to the rest that remains for God's people. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you, church.